0: Today on Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, we're talking about Born in the USA, The Album. You're listening to Bruce Springsteen Sings the Alphabet, the only podcast on the internet where we talked about every single Bruce Springsteen song in alphabetical order, but now we're doing things the right way. Now we're doing things the right way. That's right. Act two. Things are a little different. Things are not as they seemed. We're going back. We're doing all the records. We're doing the records in release order. And we're talking about them, song by song, uh, one record at a time. Today, we're talking about Born in the USA, uh, the most famous Bruce Springsteen record on record. Certainly.
1: Certainly the most successful.
0: Yeah. For sure.
1: Generally speaking.
0: Yes. I would say that uh, we've said this before, but sort of maligned a little. Oh, I should say I'm Rob. I'm I'm Rob Carmack. I'm joined as always by J.B. Clark. <laughs> Sorry, I got that backwards. I'm J.B. Clark. I'm joined as always by Rob Carmack. Rob, how you doing, man?
1: Man, I'm just I'm suffering from a bit of an uh, identity crisis, not yeah? knowing which one of us I am. But. Uh, <laughs> I feel like I can get through that, okay?
0: Are you feeling extra big and loud right now?
1: <laughs> I, man, yes I am. I feel like I was, we were quiet, we were on a desert road, we were having a very somber, internal, like reflective season, and now I'm ready to slap that snare drum as hard as I can and fire up the synths. How are you, Jake? That's right.
0: Hit the piano chord with that left hand, let me hit that drum with the right hand, let's play Born in the USA.
1: Point that index finger to the sky and belt it out. Woo! Yes.
0: How are you? Yeah, dude. I'm great now. (laughs) (laughs) Now that you know which one of us you are? Yeah. Good. (laughs) Uh, And now that we're talking about um, easily sort of like the most like rocket, the rockinest and the most accessible way record. Um, This is a record that anybody can get down to.
1: Well, and certainly they have. This is We mentioned before, this is by far Bruce Springsteen's most uh, widely accepted, purchased, listened to album ever. By far,
0: what's it? Uh, twenty-five million sound scans or something like that. It is.
1: I have it down here. We're talking, like JB said, we're talking about the album "Born in the USA," which was released on June the fourth, nineteen eighty-four. But I have it down here. We're jumping a little bit ahead in my notes, but uh, it uh, it has been it's been certified fifteen times platinum, which means fifteen million copies sold in the United States. It's way. I think it's like twenty-eight. If you go uh, twenty-eight million, I think if you go international, I could be wrong about that. I found some conflicting. Uh, Sources on that, but it's it's a lot. It it is a lot of albums sold. Well,
0: it's a little more nebulous now because it's not about sales; it's about scans. Nielsen has like some algorithm: how many times has the have songs from the record been been played? Oh, uh, yes, or streamed. And so they they have a they call it sound scans now. Yeah. And so this is a record that still gets played a lot, and still gets streamed a ton, and still um, and and still gets bought a good bit. You know, it's an ever evolving sort of situation. But yeah, twenty-eight, uh, twenty-eight is it. No, I have it maybe- it's higher. You say-, say what? What'd you say?
1: I, I, it's higher. I have it right here. It's thirty million units sold reported in two thousand twelve. So eight years yeah. ago, which was the last time I guess they like these were the the only numbers they were con- considering. This is before streaming became like a, a viable way of tracking this kind yeah. of thing. But as of two thousand twelve, this is album has
0: certified units sold or is that reported units sold? Reported you know? units sold. Yeah, so it's probably, uh, you know, reported is a little bit higher than certified, and then scans, that's before they were even considering digital, so.
1: So does reported, does that include, like, used bookstores and stuff, like, how, like you I know what I mean? I really know how that
0: works. You know, got shipped, which has a lot more to do with the promotion of the record than sales, uh, and then I think reported has more to do with maybe the label than... Than, or maybe maybe uh reported has more to do with like uh bmi and um ascap okay. and then sound scans now is sort of all of them right nielsen's Nielsen's the one who reports that and so that's sort of all of them yeah well um,
1: and by and by any standard of measurement this is Bruce Springsteen's most successful record
0: yeah so outside of outside of records sold Bruce Springsteen has 10 million, almost 11 million monthly listeners on Spotify, so one of three or four major streaming services, mm-hmm. um, monthly listeners. The t- Three of the top five songs and uh, four of the top ten songs on his page are from this record. Dancing in the Dark has got 231, almost 232 million listens alone on Spotify. Born in the USA, 180 million. I'm on fire, 160 million. Glory Days, 61 million. So, we're we're dealing with a record that's that's beyond sort of the scope of trackability.
1: Yeah. Well, and and you said like the of the top five, but like the number one last I checked, the number one Bruce Springsteen song on Spotify was Santa Claus is Coming to Town. Which I mean, if you got a if you got a Christmas song, that's gonna end up.
0: So like other than the song that everyone listens to once a year. it's, they don't have Santa Claus on there anymore on the popular list I think they shook it up a little bit oh no it's number 10 it's actually 101 million they reported it now so oh okay so everything else has kind of moved up but they have it at 10 and they have four songs uh that have fewer plays above it uh, Jeez. I think they maybe sunk the uh, they sunk the uh Christmas songs in the in the in the ranking
1: yeah interesting well that's probably smart I bet everybody was getting I mean, I'm sure Christmas songs were just like weighing everything else down on, on the. Stands. I bet as a
0: – yeah, it probably has a lot to do with, um, with like, Alexa, play uh, Bruce Springsteen. Nobody wants to hear that because it's going to pick up the first, you know. The- yeah.
1: But it's also, like, in, if you go looking for, like, Christmas mixes or holiday season mixes, like, that's going to yeah. end up on a lot. Like, if, if you just say, Alexa, play Christmas music. Like, that's going to show up in the rotation at some point, you know, and that counts.
0: Yeah. So, so does, like, uh, Fourth of July music, you know. Oh, true. That's, that's a good point. Um <laughs>
1: So, so yeah, this album is, it's a juggernaut. In in fact, like anytime you go looking for like the list of like the top 50 highest selling albums of all time, this is on it.
0: Yeah. And we should also mention one of the maybe top five most iconic record covers of all time. For sure.
1: Yeah. And pair and and, uh, most often paired. There's a Simpsons parody of, of this record cover out there somewhere with Homer Simpsons, but
0: everybody's, everybody's got a parody of this and yeah. And uh, I love seeing it in other. You know, I, I'm sure I've mentioned it before. I love seeing it in other, other from other countries. I, there's a there's a Hebrew one from Israel that that uh, is hanging on the wall of a, a blues museum in Clarksdale that that just makes me so happy. I, I want to buy it off the guy, but he's not the kind of guy to part. He, he runs a homemade uh, museum, so he's not the kind of guy to part with.
1: <laughs> like by point of comparison, if you're out there like wondering like, well, is 30 million? That sounds like a whole lot, but like compared to other Bruce Springsteen albums, like what Nebraska has been certified platinum exactly one time. So this album, like Nebraska has sold a million copies as of the most recent measurement. And, I th- yeah. and even like Born to Run, like like I realize Nebraska may not be a, a fair comparison because that was ad- like a much smaller record. But like even Born to Run, like we talked about it, like which was up, well, I guess the river was his most successful up to this point. But like Born to Run, which is, which is Breakout album, I think sold, I think, I think it's been certified like five times platinum. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, so like this is, like, so Born to Run was considered, a, a, like, a massive hit. And this album sold 25 million more copies than that did.
0: If you played auxiliary percussion on this record, you're good. You can still, you can pay rent every month.
1: <laughs> that's, that, well, I mean, th- that's that's something we'll talk about at some point. But, like, the the personnel that you're hearing, it's all E Street Band. Yeah. So there's no, there's no extra musicians brought
0: in. But I'm just saying, if you got brought in, or if you got some sort of credit on this album... If you are registered anywhere on this album, on like BMI and ASCAP, which is what a bar registers with, so that they can play live music, you know. Yeah, if you're a radio your station, this record. Yeah, you are good. Yeah. Uh,
1: so yeah. yeah, this is by by all standards and measurements, this was a an incredibly successful record. However, amazingly, this is not the most successful record of 1984, which I think is. Is a source of frustration for Bruce Springsteen to this oh, yeah. day. Because and we mentioned and we'll we'll talk about this. Well, I mean we talk about it now. Like the it's biggest single enough. from this album was Dancing in the Dark. And it should have hit number one. It was on its way to hitting number one on the Billboard yeah. charts. But it stopped at number two. And the reason it stopped at number two is because a couple of weeks after this album came out, Prince releases a little
0: album called Purple Rain. He's played, Prince played defense, man. Oh, my and gosh. It, and by defense, I mean he played the best defense as a great offense. Yeah. Prince, Prince went out there and scored a million goals. <laughs> yeah,
1: he pr- – Prince – happened to also release the most successful record of his career, which was Purple Rain. And the the lead single off of that was When Doves Cry. And When Doves Cry hit number one as Dancing in the Dark was creeping up its, uh, its way to number one. And so... Fully stops dancing in the dark in its tracks, and and like, even to this day, in an interview, when it when asked, I I've like re- the most recent time I heard him, at, or I think Jimmy Fallon asked him about this a couple of years ago, but asked him like, so you've never had a number one single, and 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 Bruce said, no, dancing in the dark at number two, we were uh, beat by when doves cry, and you could sort of hear it in his voice. He jokes about it, but I can tell like the competitive. Bruce is a competitive guy. He's a very successful yeah. musician. Like there's a part of him that's like. My God, like like on my tombstone it will say, "Dancing in the Dark" was number two, when Doves Cry" was number one, and that's just too bad. So, but I yeah. mean, and "Purple Rain" ends up becoming the best selling album released in 1984. But what's interesting, and I found this in my recent like, "Purple Rain" is not the the highest selling album in 1984. It was the highest selling album released in 1984. Do you know what the number one selling album in 1982 in 1984 was? We've talked about this, and I don't remember. It is Thriller, which was released yes. two years earlier. Two Thriller years before that. Michael Jackson's Thriller, released in 1982, dominates the charts so hard that it continues to be the number one selling album into 1984. And so yeah. even though Prince's Purple Rain is the no- number one selling album released in 1984, Thriller still has it beat. And Thriller... And I mean, we, we we'll talk about this more in in the uh, the bonus episode. Thriller is the highest selling album of all time. It is it holds the Guinness World Record of most albums sold of all time. So uh, yeah, because I mean, it just kept it like, just kept pumping singles out of that thing over and over and over again. So anyway, yeah. Um, other albums released in nineteen eighty four, JB. I'm just gonna run through this list. It, it, it's a murderer's row. There's there's so many like big albums that came out this year. So. Um, in addition to Purple Rain, in addition to Born in the USA, you've got She's So Unusual uh, Sorry, She's So Unusual by Cyndi Lauper, Private Dancer by T- uh, Tina Turner, Can't Slow Down by Lionel Richie, which uh, won the Grammy for uh, Album of the Year, amazingly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> unforgettable – say what? I just laughed. I mean, yeah, considering all the other albums that were, that were nominated, I, c- I cannot believe that. But anyway, uh, you've got Unforgettable Fire by U2, Reckoning by R.E.M., the Footloose soundtrack, which was a really big album. Make It Big by Wham, Ride the Lightning by Metallica, Building the Perfect Beast by Don Henley, the self-titled debut album by The Smiths, Zen Arcade by Husker Du, and Like a Virgin by Madonna. Yeah, man. That's a big year. It's a big year. So, Born in the USA is released amidst all these things. It took more than two years to record on and off. Like They weren't in the studio every day for two years, but like, they went in to start recording. They laid down several songs. I think eight of the songs that they recorded in those 1982 sessions made the final cut. And then Bruce starts to sort of wor- work on, basically he, he stops because he wants to make Nebraska. He does that. They go back. He continues to write, continues to like doubt himself, and he writes up to, like I think by, by most estimation, somewhere in the neighborhood of 80 songs. To be considered for this album so then eventually in 1984 they go back into the studio 83 84 they go back into the studio they continue to lay down more and more and more tracks and then uh eventually ultimately after after two years of working on it they finally release it it was recorded in two different locations it was recorded at the power station and later at the hit factory both in new york city uh there are four credited producers because of personnel shake-ups in the midst but john landau chuck plotkin bruce springsteen and steven van zandt are, are credited as producers uh steven van zandt did most of the production on the front end and not so much on the back end because he in 1984 he leaves the E street band mid sessions like basically as they're recording this album steve begins to sort of fade away begins to pull out uh, of the E street band he, he begins to break away and work on his own solo material um for for a handful of reasons cited one being he wanted to make his own stuff another is that he kind of felt like he didn't have the creative voice that he really wanted with the east street band even though he's cited as a producer he felt like uh he, he he was not being listened to as much as he would have liked to have been and uh, and so he ends up not just like not being a producer anymore but leaving the east street band yeah so they he wrote oh, like somewhere between 70 80 songs not even including the nebraska songs they recorded a lot of them and ultimately whittled it down to the track list, which is 12. And uh, let's see here. Yeah, we talked about it reached number one on the Billboard charts. It held, oh, it reached number one on the Billboard charts. It held. It holds the spot for four weeks, which is the entire month of July. Um, and and then Purple Rain is released. And beginning August the 4th, it is no longer <laughs> number one. Purple, one yeah. Purple Rain holds number one spot for the rest of 1984 <clears throat> without an interruption. And um, even so, this this album continues to be a juggernaut. It it has been certified platinum fifteen times, like we mentioned before. Thirty million reported sales since uh, as of two thousand twelve was nominated for album of the year the nineteen eighty five Grammy Awards. It is it is a widely acknowledged celebrated album, and it, it's it's one of those albums that it became so successful that a lot of Bruce Springsteen's longtime fans a- accuse him of like this is where he sold out because this yeah. is this is where the world discovered him, in fact we we had somebody email us early on when we started talking about this, this album years ago and and someone from like the Jersey area says this is when we lost Bruce, meaning like this is this is when he stopped being like this this cachet artist that we knew about and that cared about living in New Jersey, and he became like a global superstar.
0: well, it's when they quit being theirs and belong to the rest of us that's
1: right that this this is when when he became like capital B Bruce, like the boss, you
0: know, yeah. Do you think that it stayed number one during July because it was July because of July 4th and because it's so patriotic, but also so many people don't understand that it's patriotic in a different way? So it's like it's it's a record that uh, that like, uh, you know, people who are sort of on either side of the political aisle could can can uh, play as a uh, sort of rallying point for for July 4th and the days following.
1: That's a good question. Maybe because it was released on June the fourth, so it takes it uh, four whole weeks until the week of Fourth of July for it to hit number one. Yeah. So it, it it does make me think like people were like in in the patriotic spirit of things, people were like running out and grabbing like people were probably at record stores saw Bruce's ass and an American flag and were like, "I'm grabbing that. I'm I'm i pick up five copies of that."
0: Yeah, and, I mean like. <laughs> It doesn't take any more than that, you know. I mean, that's, I mean, that's yeah. all it takes for me, you know.
1: <laughs> yeah, Bru- Bruce's ass plus an American flag equals thirty times platinum. <laughs> well, and like a
0: worn out, worn out baseball cap in his pocket.
1: That's right. Yeah, it's the, the the baseball cap is what sells this.
0: It is. I love that baseball cap, and I love that it looks like a grease drag. Yeah, for uh, the longest time, the that's warm. what I
1: thought it was until until I took a like deep, like hard look at this at this album cover. That's what I yeah. thought it was.
0: Yeah, man. And those are like, uh, you know, he's, his jeans have like a wallet, have wallet wears in them. Those are his jeans. Those aren't some some uh, dresser's jeans. You know, those are his jeans. that has got man. a shiny belt on. I was going to say, I want, is that his belt? Because that is a bedazzled belt. That's got to be his belt, man. Because you know, like, rock and roll dudes love to wear just shitty clothes and a sick belt. And like uh, $500 lifetime warranty Wolverine boots. <laughs> Speaking of that, I saw
1: Jason Isbell – this is off the beaten track. I saw Jason Isbell a few weeks ago, and he dresses like a like a regular guy except for his shoes. Have you ever noticed this? Jason Isbell's uh, sneaker game is very strong.
0: Yeah, him and him – and, um... oh, I just forgot his name. I keep wanting to say Parker Millsap. Not Parker Millsap. What's his name? I don't know. Turtles all the way down. He covered Nirvana on his last record, Country Guy. He busked outside of the Gram- oh, the CMAs with his Grammy. In his guitar case. Uh, Chris Stapleton? No. Chris Stapleton was won the CMAs. <laughs> oh, what is his name? It's a weird name. Turtles all the way down. Hang on. I'm gonna look it up. Sergil Simpson. Sturgel Simpson. Surgil Simpson. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah him and Sergil Simpson both wear uh, super cool sneakers. Like they were like
1: super they were like disco ball glittery.
0: Yeah. So I Jason, I, I feel like I remember him wearing boots for the longest time. And you know, like motorcycle boots and work boots. He and,
1: seems like a boots guy
0: to me. Yeah, and then I think Sturgill. I really think Sturgill got him into sneakers.
1: <laughs> you think so? You think they were? I like really hanging do. Hanging
0: out at a festival, was like,
1: "Hey, Sturgill, what's with your shoes?" And Sturge was like, y- "You wear them once, you'll never go back." And then ever since yeah. then, Jason's been walking around with disco balls on his feet.
0: So look, dude, I've been wearing boots all week because it's been raining, and today it was supposed to rain a little bit. And it was still gonna be wet, so I couldn't wear like my white Converse. So I went and got a pair of high tops out of my closet, some some highlighter green (laughs) Puma Sky tops, and I wore them. And they were they're so comfortable. Like once you wear them in, man. uh, And I got some Nike Dunks that are like it's like walking around in a lazy boy. Mm. So before
1: Jason Isbell and Sturgill Simpson were setting the world on fire, fire with their glittery shoes, Bruce was wearing this belt. That is on That's the record, right. born in the USA. That's right. So, it's a badass belt. It is a badass belt. So, yeah, it, it's a well, and you mentioned like the patriotism of it all. Like, th- this was, uh, there, there's a presidential race going on in 1984 when this album is released, and Ronald Reagan is, is running for re election. And very famously, yep. he attempted to co opt this song and was. Uh, very, very swiftly met with a <laughs> cease and desist order. And, uh, that, that's a thing that, so because, because like, yeah, Born in the USA sounds like this big patriotic rock anthem. And that's what most people think it is until they listen to it. And they're like, Oh God, like th- this is, this is a very sad, well, and we'll get to it when we talk about the track by track, but like, I think the album cover helps to sort of create <laughs> kind of that dissonance, you know? Yeah. Because the album, it's a very triumphant-looking album cover. Let's talk about the overall theme, because every one of Bruce Springsteen's albums has a theme. And so I do want to mention, before we get into the track-by-track, track, what what I sort of perceive this theme to be. And I I, I think, as I listen to this album, and I spend a lot of time with this album, this album seems to be about struggle and about longing, which is not a profound thing to say. Like, you could say that that's the case about a lot of Bruce Springsteen's albums. But I feel like this album is almost like a response to Nebraska. Because Nebraska is there is an abyss and what if we stare directly into it? And what if we accept it? And what if we like embrace like, the, the sorrow of it all? And uh, this album is about saying, what if instead of staring into the abyss, what if I try to overcome it? Or even perhaps pretend like the abyss does not exist. In a lot of ways, this album feels like it's about denial to me. It's about people who are struggling, who are swimming upstream and it's not working, but they're gonna do it, they're, they're gonna try it anyway. They, they, will, they will fight the abyss or they will die trying. Like am I hearing what you, are you hearing what I'm hearing when you listen to this record?
0: Yeah, I think 1982 is a fork in the road for Bruce, right? And he's thinking like what what can I he's sort of realizing that that it's going to be tough. That that what he was told, what he was promised is not guaranteed. And it's going to be tough. And Nebraska is like what if we what if we try to uh buck the system? What if we try to, to make the system work for us? What if we try to you know like whether or not it, it means that everyone else gets to come up, what if what if it's just us on the come up? You, know? It, you mean you mean Born in the USA? No, I think Born in the USA is about like I'm going to struggle to do it the right way.
1: Oh, because I, I thought ne- Nebraska. Is, well, I don't know about struggle to do it the right way. Like several of these characters end up in jail.
0: It's true. Yeah, all right, all right, you're true. But I think it's sort of like <laughs> Nebraska is like. I think Nebraska is like uh, you know, hey, it's gonna be it's gonna be the thing you promised is gonna be it's gonna be a struggle to get to, and Nebraska is like, yeah, I'm not gonna do that. I'm going to, uh, you know, kind of go take the dark path, you know, the yeah, dark Nebraska path versus the like, life path.
1: Yeah, you're not going to get there anyway, so you might as well, like, blow up the chicken man or, like, go on a killing spree or, like, yeah, stare, joint, stare at a um, dead dog. Yeah, go
0: blow all your money. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Born in the USA is like, I'm going to struggle. I'm going to participate in the struggle, whatever way that is. But, like, I'm going to participate in the struggle. And still, at the end of it, you're like, come on, I worked for this. And you're still, like, I, <laughs> what well, Born in the USA is, first track, like, I fought you know in the army <laughs> well let's let, yeah let's jump into the track
1: by track so we can talk about the the song specifically so track one side one you drop you, you pick up this album you put it in your cassette player or your, or your on your turntable or whatever you're listening to it on and the first thing you hear is that snare pop those sweet scents and born in the usa <laughs>
0: Well, the first thing you hear is that left hand on the piano, yes. real quick, boom, smack. Oh, I love
1: it. So yes, born in the USA. This is our first track. So, so then, so continue what you were saying. So the idea of of this of this song is, I I joined the army. I fought. I fought for my country. I am I am a citizen here. I have bled. I have put my life in Jeopardy, and now I cannot get a job. Now, granted, the reason he joins the Army from the beginning, the reason he joins the Army is not because he feels a sense of patriotism. It's because he got in a hometown jam and somebody put a right... Basically, the impression we're given is, like, he's given a choice, jail or Vietnam.
0: Yeah. But also the first verse is, like, I I was born with nothing in a nowhere town. Like, I was born in America. I was told I could get a good job at the factory, get that union, you know, benefits, and then... And they just kick me around like I'm a dog. Yeah. And and so, you know, getting a little jam, you know, because the first verse makes you think maybe you didn't really have a lot of a choice. Right. And then so they say, all right, you want to go, you know, you want to serve your country or do you want to go to jail? And he's like, all right, I'll serve my country. And then they're like, all right, cool. Go serve your country. What your job is to protect freedom is I want you to go to this jungle where no one is. And I want you to shoot someone who doesn't look like you. Yeah. and I want you to yell you know like I, I, I want you to I, we're gonna tell you all kinds of obscene things about this person we're gonna dehumanize him and dehumanize you in the process because boy you're an American and that's your duty and he comes home and uh, and, and he, he's not equipped for work anymore right yeah and yeah it's just there's there's no way up you know' born in the USA yeah look at me man born in the USA Atlanta hope and dreams right all the promises that we were given. Here we are. Yeah. Paid my taxes, paid my dues and and what do I get? You know? I get I get like a, a loaf of bread and uh half a gallon of milk and some government cheese and in order to get that I have to have the whole town sort of tell me how I'm not doing enough. Uh yeah. congratulations son. Thank you for your service. You're born in the USA.
1: Yeah, and and the chorus is not like this triumphant like yeah, you know, like f yeah, America. It 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 is a it's a cry. It's it's basically him insisting on his birthright because the idea of being an American citizen is like you are entitled to certain privileges and rights and benefits and, and you know, entitlements. And in what he's realizing is like, oh, no, like those those things aren't real at all. Like, this, this, yeah, you know, it like all, all the things that make people feel patriotic are it turns out pretty hollow when you really need those things to work on your behalf. And I really loved that when when we talked to Lori Pierce, one of the things that she pointed out was, like, uh, close your eyes and imagine that this character is black. And imagine, like, how much deeper and more tragic yeah. that struggle is. And that, I mean, I, I've i never listened to this song the same way again
0: since Imagine this guy comes back and he doesn't have the GI Bill. Or maybe he does but he can't get it anywhere or he's not allowed to buy a house in a neighborhood that will like gain property value. Yeah.
1: Or he still, he still has to deal with like what it feels like to be pulled, pulled over by a, by a white police officer in a
0: certain, or maybe he's got to go save somebody's life in a swamp in Vietnam and get shot at and come back to camp where people just call him racial slurs. Yeah. So, so yeah, this is a, this is a very dark, very sad song. And it, and it, this is like the first sort of FML, you know, the expression FML. Yes. So F my life. So a lot of Bruce Springsteen songs, you know, are like political, like middle fingers to the man, right? This is a middle finger in the mirror, right? This isn't like a F you. This is like an F me. <laughs> yeah, it really is. That's that's a,
1: that's a good way. I think that's a solid read on this record because it it is a rage against the system, but it's also sort of like, like well, shoot, like like this this is I guess this is my fate. It, it, there is a resignation, which and and so much so that this this song was not originally supposed to be on this album. The the original cut of this song was. Mint um, for Nebraska, and you can hear that if you listen to tracks. There's a there's an outtake of it. It's very different, and apparently the reason this song ended up on this record is because early on in the process when Bruce was considering it for Nebraska, that he went into the studio one day and played just a version of this song, like the Nebraska version of this song for the guys in the band while they were just sitting around at the studio. And there there are varying stories about this, but according to Roy Bitten, he says, as Bruce was playing the song, he said, he says, Oh, I can hear a riff. And so Roy like goes over to his Yamaha synthesizer and starts banging out what is now the famous riff riff. And then Max sits down and starts to crack on the snare and after they did that two times, uh, according to Roy, Bruce yells, "Wait, wait, wait! Stop! Okay, does everybody have the chords? Okay, yeah. Roll, roll the tape." And so yeah. what, what you hear is what you hear. Now Max disputes this, and he says that Roy was not the first person. Like basically, Max has has a basically takes issue with like the order in which the musicians like all sort of heard the the sirens call of what what the song would originally would ultimately be. Um, but, but Max is also like, I don't know, like, I don't want to, I don't want to call Roy a liar, so we'll just let it, let it be what it is. So, yeah uh, so that's, so anyway, that, so the story is like, this was supposed to end up on Nebraska, but in, in the, in one of the studio sessions, the, the band sort of had like this come to Jesus moment with, w- when hearing this and then it ended up being what you hear.
0: Yeah. Well, it, it paved the way for what this record should be and the song selection in order. And it also uh helped clarify what nebraska was and and I think that's, that that selection is beautiful. I think that's right. But yeah, so like thinking about it in terms of the theme
1: like people kind of trying to swim against like the darkness of their own fate. Like yeah, that, that that's what this chorus is. Like the verses of this song belong in nebraska, but then the chorus almost feels like it's bridging the space between the two because it is I mean, it's a lament, but it's also sort of like this like this raging insistence that I don't deserve this. I deserve like I am as an American citizen, I am owed certain things, and I'm not receiving those things. And I'm 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 not going to just sit here and not say something about it, you know? Yeah. So yeah, man. It, it's a it's an interesting, powerful song. I, I don't love it. It's not one of my favorites. It's weirdly, it's my daughter's favorite Bruce Springsteen song. Um, but uh she obviously does not understand the political nuance of the whole thing. She just likes the chorus. Yeah. Uh, not unlike most people at a Fourth of July barbecue, but um that's you know. That's what it's like to have a seven year old.
0: <laughs> I love this song so much because, for the very same reasons, uh, but like for opposite reasons at the same time. Like, I love nothing more than for when everyone's having a good time around something to be like, oh, yeah, you know, for everyone to be like, George Bush is going to uh, VA hospitals to paint people and being like, yeah, I think he really has sort of uh, tried to make amends for his sins, but let's not forget that he's responsible for the deaths of maybe a million citizens, civilians. <laughs> like, I love Nothing more than ruining somebody's good day with truth. I don't know why, but I do. And I, it's because I'm sitting there like, thinking about it the whole time. My therapist tells me that all the time. Like, you can't let other people have a good time sometimes. Like, <laughs> or as my sister-in-law often says to me, wow, you really do say a lot, don't you?
1: So, yeah, I mean, and obviously we've talked about Bruce's survivor's guilt about not going to Vietnam. This song is obviously an outgrowth of that. and Yeah. Um, anyway, we we said, we have already said a lot like years ago when we first like this was in year one of this podcast so we're like four years removed from our original episode about this but um, like the basic facts of the song have not changed so we can talk about like Bruce read Ron Kovic's book fourth, uh, Born on the Fourth of July and that yeah. influenced this and and that's all important but really like as you're listening to the to the album this is an interesting sort of like co- the cognitive dissonance that is this song is really interesting like the the grand triumphant like Sonic nature of the song but also like the very dark message of it so
0: um
1: it's interesting track one side one you
0: know april recently read or not recently but a couple years ago read that born of the fourth of july and i was like how was it and she because i haven't read it and she put it down and she's like i i don't know i mean i guess i didn't like it as much as bruce <laughs> <laughs> not about to write a song about it or anything yeah uh so the next song is is killer cover me uh-huh. Man, this has some of the best blues guitar, you know? Yeah. This has some very, like, inspired by Muddy Waters blues guitar. It's funny. Like, this song was originally written as – it was supposed to go to – Bruce wrote it thinking he was going
1: to give it to Donna Summer to record, which means that, like, the the original destination of the song was to become a disco song.
0: Yeah, well, it's got this sort of, like, um, new way post-punk sort of feel, which is, is, is not unsimilar to disco, you know? Yeah. And uh, I said I said Money Waters and Albert King. I meant BB King and Albert King. Sorry,
1: that's all right.
0: Um, that's just that would that would really get on my nerves later.
1: Glad you glad you went back for it.
0: Yeah, love Nils Nils plays the absolute shit out of his guitar.
1: It's well, it's not Nils. Nils Nils has not yet joined the band.
0: Oh geez, he hasn't. Yeah, but
1: that's I had nice that in, exactly my in my notes.
0: I had it in some notes, and I said that last time because it was is... in the notes that I wrote down. In all um, likelihood,
1: that is Bruce Springsteen playing. Yeah, that's,
0: that's, and it sounds like Bruce playing guitar. I'm reading from my old notes that we have already corrected on the podcast before. <laughs> uh, cause I just copied and pasted onto this new note. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Van Zandt leaves skin. the band
1: as, as this album is finishing.
0: Yeah. And, and that's after, not Steve's, that's not Stephen's style either. No. So it's definitely not him. This but, is 100% Bruce. Cause, and you can tell, cause Bruce likes to hold a note and then pinch it. Um, and that's what this is all about.
1: Right. But, but then Nils. Nils will join the band for the tour for this album, but is not, uh, right. is not recording on this. So anyway, wanted to get that basic fact in there before somebody fired off an email.
0: And thank you for that. You know, yeah. I, you know that's my job is to put down the lies and your job to pick them up. You know. <laughs> that's our magic trick. That is our magic is that, trick, uh, Is that I take a truth and I turn it into a lie and I package that fraud and tell it to the listeners. And then you come back and, and make sure it's a truth.
1: Here's a sports metaphor. I'm a goalie. And you're 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 trying to you're hit the, you're hitting these uh these these factual inerrancies or inerrancies, these factual errors in, in at me as hard as you can. And my job is to catch them all. And I I, I just can't catch catch them all. And sometimes sometimes I, I score on myself.
0: Also. <laughs> Every now and then you score on yourself.
1: Yeah. It's not a perfect metaphor.
0: Yeah. You don't mean to, but just with a small nod of your head and a mm.
1: Or sometimes I say something, and I'm like, as I'm editing, well, that's the the beauty of the editing process, right? Like, I can say something, and it can be completely wrong, and as I'm editing, I can be like, I don't know if that's right, and I can Google it, and if it's wrong, I can just cut it out, (coughs) and nobody ever has to know. Anyway, so so yeah, this song was originally written for Donna Summer. At John Landau's insistence, Bruce kept this one and gave her another song called "Protection" instead. So, if you ever heard, if you're a Donna Summer fan and you ever heard the song "Protection," Bruce Springsteen wrote that as well, and that was her consolation prize for having not received "Cover Me,"
0: which is a banger of a song.
1: Yeah. Also, yeah, that's the the number of songs that Bruce Springsteen has just sort of like quietly like written and handed off to somebody else is amazing. But. This one, I don't know what to do thematically. I don't really know how to feel about this one. I realize like a lot of this album, th- this album is meant to be co- thematically cohesive. But I realize like a lot of people, John Landau and Chet Plotkin specifically, were lobbying really hard for j- him to just pack this album with hits, and it worked. Obviously, like this this album is, again, we, we mentioned before, it's a critic or it, it is a marketplace juggernaut. But I wonder if if some of the thematic. Things that would have been held together on other Bruce Springsteen albums, I wonder if they're not quite as cohesive here because the the bullseye that they were aiming at was radio singles. You know, yeah, yeah. So because I I'm looking at this and I'm not totally sure that thematically this works. If 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 the goal of this album is to tell one specific cohesive story, I don't know if Cover Me makes the cut. Yeah, I think uh... this is a John Landau special. I think he decided like this needs to stay on.
0: I mean, it's a little bit like, you know, the, the deck stacked against us, you know? Yeah,
1: the times are tough, just getting tougher,
0: yeah. But it's it's definitely a killer record. It's definitely, you know, John Landau being like, all right, we got to make Nebraska's money back.
1: <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's a there's a little bit of that as well.
0: Because it is a, it is, musically, it is what this record's shooting for.
1: Oh, for sure, yeah. Like, the, like, yeah, I think sonically, this is a deeply cohesive record.
0: I think sonically, this is like more the thesis than maybe Born in the USA, you know? Because it's got sort of like this very '80s. The band's doing all this '80s stuff, but the lead guitar is doing all this just like just heartland rock and roll, you know. Yeah. Just high on the neck run, you know, big pentatonic run solos, you know, and the drums are just like real tight, you know. They almost fit into disco or rock and roll, you know. He's, it's, it's, it's just, it. I mean, this is a musical thesis. It's perfect. It's great. It's 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 so tight.
1: Yeah. Well, it's one of the only songs on the album, also that doesn't have a story. It's just, I mean, yeah. it, you know, it, it is a description of like the now. It, well, and again, I mean, he wrote it for somebody else, so like the the goal of this song is to be like a love, like a disco style, like love song type thing, and a song a song about longing, but and a song about struggle. But ultimately, it's a it's a it's a love song in in the in the key of disco. So, yeah,
0: I also love that like it's not it's uh, vocally it's like not very challenging, but he takes a few little moments to just belt you yeah. know yeah he, it's so good
1: yeah musically th- this is a, this is a really exciting song so um so yeah i'm I'm glad it's here i i, I think it, it does keep the album strong and, and and a good track two song is is pretty critical i think if, if you're trying to make a like make a strong album you need people to stick with you beyond the opening song so th- this is a good choice for that but yeah so if, if i'm only interested in album like thematic cohesion the, the song doesn't quite make it but Musical cohesion—it's very strong.
0: Yeah, and we should say it's a tight three thirty-six or three twenty-six, and this this whole record nothing comes over five minutes. Most this, of it's under four. So this it's whole album sort of an outlier for Bruce, but
1: yeah, yeah. Th- this whole album more than any other album by Bruce Springsteen. This whole album was crafted for radio accessibility.
0: Yeah, it's got like what like four or five more songs than his first two records, and it's shorter. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah. Every, yeah, every song is is good radio length. There's nothing yeah. here that's l- like. L- Length running time prohibitive. And
0: uh My yeah, hometown probably isn't radio length. Well, I said Darlington County's longer and I think it probably got some radio plays so. though.
1: It's I mean, like you said, nothing nothing here clocks in under five or over five minutes. Yeah. Which is like you said, it's well I guess I mean, I guess that's also true about Nebraska, but the, Nebraska is also like he was writing songs for this time period like like every every song on nebraska was in consideration for born in the usa so like he's still he's in that mindset i I think he's trying at least part of his brain at least is trying to write a hit like a radio hit and and i think john lando's job is to like keep him focused on that goal
0: yeah well the next track is the longest on the record four minutes 48 seconds starlington county comes out of the cake with just some some sweet gritty guitar playing and then you like a cowbell and like a piano slide down into the you know full band coming in. Huge organ sounds it it rules.
1: I love this song man. This song is super fun. This is a it's a it's a honky tonk kind of rocker to it. Yeah, and and thematically it works. It's it's about a couple of idiots. uh, It's about a couple of idiots trying to posture themselves as much bigger deals than they really are. They they're from New York City. They have to leave New York City because everybody in New York City already knows that they're idiots and they're losers. And so they go down to Darlington County because they figure if we go down south, then everybody will think we're a big deal because we're from New York City. And ultimately, uh, one of them has to sneak out of town while the other one gets arrested. And so that's uh, I love this. I, I narratively this one this is. I, th- I think one of the funniest songs that Bruce has ever written, I, lo- I love the final line is so funny to me where he says, I seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. I, uh, I seen Wayne handcuffed to the bumper of a state trooper's Ford. I love yeah. the idea of like his come to Jesus moment is the realization that his friend has been arrested for probably like trying to go out with an underage girl. And so he's just going to like slide on out of town before anybody realizes he was there.
0: Yep. You know what? Maybe we'll all go right on back to New York.
1: So yeah, man, I, it, which again, it, it, and honestly, this song feels like it could have been an outtake from the river. But, but again, like because of it, sounds like a, a distant cousin to like Ramrod or Cadillac Ranch. But, but again, thematically, it's it's about somebody who like kind of is in a terrible spot in their life, is in a dead end. Like nobody in their life, I assume nobody in life, their life respects them. That's why they have to get out of New York City. And and they they're only met with more
0: terrible <laughs>
1: things of, of their own making. Like they're 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 the designers of their own fate.
0: I love the idea of two guys with two hundred bucks two new 200 New York City dollars you know the the exchange rate from New York City to Darlington County is like pretty pretty decent you know yeah. <laughs> they're coming to town with 200 1980s New York City dollars and they're going to Darlington County and I mean today if you go if you're from New York City you got 200 bucks and you drive to you know just a small town and with 200 bucks like that's a you're going to you can rock and roll all night you can and uh, back then, you could probably rock roll all night and then get a hotel to sleep it off in. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man, well, that's great. And, and it's got the shalalas,
1: which to me, like that speaks to sort of like a like a mindless like we're just, we're just whistling yeah. through our lives. We're just we're 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 we're, there are, we're giving no thought to our choices. We have no we have nothing more profound to say than shalala la 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 la.
0: Our paws on each of the World Trade one uh, one of the World Trade Centers. Uh, it's we're from new york
1: <laughs> yeah hey and,
0: yeah yeah hey <laughs> i haven't seen my buddy in seven days but we came down with 200 bucks like i'm probably good for another month and a half
1: yeah I, I like the song a lot just for the it's it's a lot of fun to listen to it is super catchy i love i do love the shalalas and the characters are so dumb and they're like i like i, I love the the creation that bruce in such a short economic period of time gives you these two characters who are not likable in any way, it gives them an entire experience to where you're sort of laughing at their fate by the end of it.
0: And I also love, like, uh, instead of explaining the whole thing, it's, I mean, you get a little bit of it, but the whole song, we're driving down to Darlington County, driving down to Darlington County, driving down to Darlington County. And then it's like, oh, man, I haven't seen my buddy in a couple days. Uh, You know, this dude's giving me some trouble. Driving now to Darlington County, you know? Yeah, that's
1: right. It's the same exact same (laughs) tune, like, as he's, like, Heading out. It's like it's like that scene, you know that gif of um, Grandpa Simpson like walking yeah, into a yeah, room, yeah. hanging up his hat, and then turning out and <laughs> picking his hat back up and walking right back out while he's whistling the whole time.
0: It's, yeah. like it's the Homer Simpson going right back into the bush gif. Yep. Speaking of Simpsons' gifts <laughs> while we're on this record. It's very much like if this if the last verse of the song was just a sound, it would be Skr <laughs> <laughs> Gotta go. There's a this guy shaped
1: hole in the wall. Um Yep. Well, speaking, this speaking is cool of songs. Life. Speaking of songs about somebody who, who end up in jail, uh working on the highway is track four. Night,
2: night, fresh out of work. About the, the, the looking get hurt. And the
0: So working on the highway is a good song, and also down on <laughs> a great song. Uh, <laughs> I'm just joking. Right. So uh, anyway, working on the highway, what do you got to say about this one?
1: Well, basically, it, I mean, it's fascinating. It, it is obviously, it, it sort of is like a twin or like a cousin of like Darlington County because it has the same sort of like lighthearted rockabilly sensibility of somebody like <laughs> getting in over their head and ending up in jail. But it's also fascinating. This is a Nebraska outtake. It was originally called Child Bride. And uh, it, it was very dark. It was very sad because it's about somebody who... Uh, takes a girl over state lines who is underage and ends up going to jail for it. And, but he takes that song and he turns it into like this big Elvisy rocker, but it has the same sort of tragic doom story, but it, the, the guy's a lot more lighthearted about it, but at, by, by the end of it. And so it becomes less about sort of like this guy's terrible choices and more about how, like before he goes to jail, he's working on the highway and after he goes to jail he's still working on the highway so like the whole system is built in such a way to where like life in jail and life out of jail are not that different from each other and like he uh like he makes this he tells he uses the device of taking a girl over state lines as a way of sort of getting at this larger
0: point you know yeah and as sort of dark as that is the lyrics i mean the, the music is uh imagine that elvis surf movie you see the scene where they're all on the beach yeah and they're all dancing and they all have their hands over their heads, and they got like, stepping back from one side to the other, and they're like waving their hands one side to the other. Right, left, right, right, and then they go down with the snaps. Yeah. You know, very grease lightning. Uh huh. And I love how fast it is, too. It's like it. it's almost at the pace that you would leave Darlington County at. If you're <laughs> County, yep. County. Or maybe as you're driving out of Darlington County, you see this guy who's working on the highway yeah it's like the cop's like what are you up to and you're like nothing anyway (laughs) (laughs) yeah i love it
1: yeah man so but again it's it's thematically it's right on point it it is it's a guy who is sort of in a in a terrible spot he makes some choices and somehow finds
0: a way to make it worse yeah that's uh and this is another example this whole record has got this sort of like the sort of like uh, disco-y sensibility, you know, in in the meter, which yeah. is which is of the times, right? This is this is the eighties. It's yeah, it's post disco, um, like but, like mid synth yeah. period. Yeah, but every song has ripping rock and rolling guitars, and and I that's why I love this record, is because it is just so guitar forward. It's like, uh, hey, I know that y'all are you know the guitars you know dying or whatever, and we're all just playing weird funk chords up high on and and you know we're just we're just it's synth heavy now but but uh we're we're going to do all that but also we're going to have this uh this one dude with uh super curly hair and one braid over here <laughs> in the corner in some ripped up jeans shredding on a Telecaster.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's like how does a 70s guitar rock god make an 80s sounding album? And this is this is it. This is the answer to that question.
0: Yeah, this song, I mean this record is the way sounds the way that the uh, guitar player for the other Bruce Springsteen band uh, looks. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good point.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, speaking of songs that are guitar forward, uh, track five is is Downbound Train.
2: I hit a job.
1: It slows down a little bit here. It does. This is the best song on the album, in my opinion. Yeah,
0: you you uh, you are on the record saying that.
1: I am on the record saying that. And I, I got to hear this song. He did the song uh, when I saw him in Jersey a couple of years. Actually, I think I've seen him twice. He uh, he did this one when I saw him in Houston in 2014. So, um, man, this this is such a good song uh, and very like it, it. opens with a guitar. It, it opens with some with some rock guitar,
0: even though it is yeah. slower. What's that like? That somber sort of like radio ballad, you know? But it's so good. Ugh. And he's doing that. He's doing that sort of like uh, that crooning, sort of kind of slurring his lines together, you know, singing that he does. That that's just so good. Yeah, it's great. Uh, and
1: I mean, again, thematically, this poor guy. He's working down at the car wash. All it ever does is rain. Uh, he, he he has lost everything, and just when he thinks he's hit bottom, it just keeps getting lower. And then he has like a night terror, and uh, it's it just sort of ends with him sort of fantasizing about the life he wishes he had. And so, very 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 on theme. This this, this is to me this is the sound when I think about uh, what Electric Nebraska might have sounded like, it's
0: this. I, it's, yeah, absolutely, it's great. It's an incredible song. It's in the Hall of Fame. It is. On,
1: yeah, I, that's right. We were both we were both a five on this one, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, we were.
1: Uh, and then we transition into my least favorite song on the record, which I think you like quite a bit more than me, which is I'm on Fire.
2: Hey, little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go and leave you all alone? I got a bad desire. Oh, I'm on fire. Tell me now, baby... You- I can
0: take you home. And you you like you dislike it specifically for the you know, the little girl reference. Well which I, I get. it's it, still it's still creepy.
1: Hey little girl, is your daddy home? Did he go and yeah. leave you all alone? Yeah, it's not great. Yeah. It's very big
0: bad wolf. Not a great line. Not a great line. It's it, very it's very uh nineteen seventies, eighties, sixties, fifties, twenties. 1880s patriarchy, but it's uh, musically it's a, such a sexy song with all the you know the little palm muta guitars and stuff going on. I love this song, and, and I always want to cover it, but I never want to sing the lyrics. <laughs> you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> I've seen several artists. Like I, I saw uh, we we went to see Mumford and Sons a couple of years ago, and they covered this song. This, this this may be the most widely covered song in this album.
0: Yeah, yeah, I've heard tons of people do this. Yeah. Uh, I think I don't, was it Julian – Did Julian Baker cover the song, or was it? julian baker has done badlands um, she did badlands it wasn't her john mayer somebody has covered this song it was a it was somebody from that that group of well, Lu- lucy uh,
1: dacus did dancing in the dark
0: yeah it, no it wasn't it, well that only leaves phoebe her. Bridgers if we're using boy geniuses are well not boy genius but like that scene oh sucker Mummy. she did she covered the song yeah it's you know, great.
1: This song – if you, I mean if you go to Spotify and type in I'm on fire, you're going you're going to find like a couple dozen covers of this song. The song is widely covered.
0: Yeah. But
1: I don't really have much to say. I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't really care much about this song, but um what about you? Like what what are your – like you you mentioned you liked it. It's I th- I remember you talking about like you felt like this is a really like kind of cool sexy song when we talked about it the first time.
0: I think if you took that first part of the line on, out or just you know, just changed two words in this song, <laughs> Yeah. It is. It is one of the sexiest songs ever written. Well,
1: and there there is a line um, that he he uses a couple of times where he says sometimes it's like someone took a knife, baby, edgy and dull, edgy and, and cut and a six dull. inch valley through the yeah. middle of my soul. That's a pretty cool line. Yeah, I mean,
0: like credit where credit's due. Br- Bruce can write a good lyric. I mean the second li- the second verse. Sometimes it's like someone took a knife, baby, edgy and dull. Just like took a knife, baby, edgy and dull. That like. That is a line. If you're watching a movie and someone, you know, delivers that line, you're just like, wow. Just imagine like a young Al Pacino delivering that line, you know, looking just past the camera. Yeah. You know, or it, you know, any any good actor. And then uh, you know, cut a six inch valley through the middle of my soul. And at night I wake up with the sheet soaking wet and a freight train running through the middle of my head. Only you can cool my desire. Oh, 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 I'm on fire. I'm on fire. Yeah, man. That- is incredible writing. That's a short story of a poem. It's everything. It's, well, it,
1: and it is. It. Is, I mean, if, I, I realize. Like, I, can't, I keep going back to this. It is on theme. Like thematically, it is consistent. It's about a guy who is longing for a person yeah. who's out of reach for him for whatever reason, either because of her age or because of another guy, and he can't get over it. Like he's he's
0: quote unquote on fire about it. And, and yeah, so, and like the first verse implies. If we skip the actual actual lyrics and like the implied, if we consider that the time that he's writing it, right? Mm-hmm. He's, he's saying, like, I think that you're in a loveless relationship. And uh, let me ask you this. Is he good to you? Can you do the things that I can do? And he's like, just give me one chance. I swear to God I can take you higher. Oh, my God, I'm on fire. Well, it's, you're like, this song is longing for someone and something specific. Well, it's totally saying- possible
1: that he is imagining... That she is unhappy in a relationship that she's actually not unhappy in.
0: You know what I mean? That's like, also true. Yeah, that is also, this is also could be, what's the song? Uh, the Lady Walked Down the Street with a Baby. <laughs> what's that song? Oh, I Want to Marry You? Yeah, I Want to Marry You. Yeah, uh, I want to, yeah, it, this is I Want to Marry You, maybe, or it's maybe like, uh, I can be your knight in shining armor if you, even if you don't need one. And it's also maybe just like, Every Breath I, You Take? Yeah. <laughs> Every Breath You Take. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every Breath You Take, isn't that like this, what's the song that they play at the end of every movie about runners? You know, like, isn't Every Breath You Take is basically just that song, right? Uh, anyway, sorry.
1: <laughs> but yeah, I mean, so, I mean, but it, that would be consistent also with kind of the running theme and, or the character theme theme cover me notwithstanding of this album which is like people who are a little bit like broken down or even maybe a little bit oblivious like that's the thing about Darlington county and working on a highway is these two guys are utterly oblivious to what's going on around them and who who is interested in them and who is not it, yeah. it, it would not at all surprise me if in bruce's mind the care the, the 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 narrator of i'm on fire is like it's not just because like she's stuck in a relationship it's like she's not into him you know what i mean like it's possible that this is about a guy who thinks there's a girl who is into him and she just straight up is not and he's not he he doesn't understand that he does not believe that
0: you know yeah this song we don't we don't get her perspective we don't get the benefit of that so so you know you're you are fully justified in giving it a three you were (laughs) justified in giving it a two or a one if you want there you go. But but uh, I, I also uh, if if the facts are as I as I suspect they are, it's five. And if there's if if the facts are as you suspect they are, I think it's a one.
1: <laughs> I know? guess that's the. Thing. I mean, it, it is all in the eye of the beholder. So maybe right it is right a three. You know, maybe it's a three. <laughs> it it is whatever the listener wants it to be. Yeah. So let's let's flip the vinyl. Let's go to okay. side two. Other side. And the next song. You know, we're not going to quit
0: on this record on side one. No. We are not going to surrender. We are not going to give up. Yeah. So side two, side That's two. The first track
1: track seven of the album.
0: No surrender.
1: Bruce almost did not include this song because he felt like it was too naive. Because, again, Bruce has an idea about what he's trying to say in an album. And in the, on this record, for some reason, he decided he was going to defer more to guys like Chuck Plotkin and John Landau than in previous situations. And I think it's because he was just so hungry for a number one record. Yeah. Because the song is about friendship. You know, I mean, it it does. It feels it feels really kind of like wide eyed and like Bruce says, sort of naive, and and sort of the backstory. And this is a lot of Chuck Plotkin, uh speculating, but the song is also, it's about friendship. And this was around the time when Stephen Van Zandt was beginning to pull away and start his own thing. So Bruce is thinking and writing about this kind of thing quite a bit, and we, we see that in the next song as well. And ultimately what's interesting is like Steven was ultimately the one who convinced Bruce to keep the song on the record. And, and yeah. Plotkin fought, fought for it as well. So it's not overtly about like ignoring the abyss and, and like fighting against uh, sort of the tide of despair. But it does sort of carry the theme of denial a little bit. Like the la- the, the line of like we uh, we learn more from a three-minute record than we ever learned in school. Like the idea of like we, we, can, we can leave conventionality and we can carve our own path. And It's like this song could have been sung by the guy from Darlington County like 10 years before Darlington County.
0: You know what I mean? Right. Well, like with this record, you don't get to the place of the ultimate place of this record without some amount of naivete in your head. Right. You don't pursue the American dream without naivety, without a a lot of it, because this deck is stacked against you. Because we know and we are taught every day of our lives that you're not going to succeed, that you're not going to do better than your parents that that no matter how great it gets like you're going to get screwed over by the systems that you pay into and the systems you help build up yeah but they don't work and there's no chance for the few that will get through if we don't all believe that lie a little bit yeah. and the fact that we all believe that lie a little bit means that actually it doesn't have to be a lie and that is why that's not what no surrender's about but that is what he's that's the place that this is in and that is that is why it belongs on this record. And I think that's what little I think little Steven you know probably realized that. I think Chuck Blockin realized that like you gotta have something you know a little a little upbeat on the second half of this record. You know, yeah. well, and and this is and truly this is the
1: Born to Run of this album. It because yeah. the, it's a song about freedom. It's about release. It's about not thinking about the consequences. Uh, which again, it, which is fascinating because most of this album is about unintended consequences. It's about people not thinking about the consequences and kind of getting bit in the ass for it. And, and and this song is about like what, what if what if there really were no consequences? What if we really could just like, um, like run as fast as we can? What if we could bust out of class and get away from those fools? And and so I like you said I'm I'm glad he ha- I'm glad he left space on this album for that kind of thing. And I realized like there there were there were dollar signs at play as well. But but at the same time like it, it took little Steven... To convince him, like no, this this the song needs to be on this album. This album needs the song, and he was yeah, right. And- I
0: mean, any producer who looks at the guy who wrote "Born to Run" and and hears him singing because we made a promise, we swore to always remember no retreat, baby, no surrender, blood brothers in no the stormy night, with a vow to defend, no retreat, baby, no surrender. Mm-hmm. Any producer who hears those words out of the mouth of the guy who wrote "Born to Run," just sees dollar signs. And I mean, no matter what, like and no matter how good the song is or not, you know, like that's this is the guy who wrote "Born to Run," and this is this is sort of a. a it's not a sequel, but it's like um, it's it's in line with that. It belongs know? in
1: the same canon as that for sure. It, it, it's it, a
0: part of the it's a part of the doctrine of Born to Run. It and is. so that's why Chuck Plotkin put this on the record. Yeah. And and honestly, musically, it can't touch Born to Run. But I think that there's some lines in here that are the reason that people like you and I put in the Hall of Fame. You know, it's and it's it's so good. It's by the way you'll this is a little detail I found today, and I, I thought
1: j b will appreciate this, according to Max Weinberg, who apparently has done a lot of interviews about this record, but according to Max Weinberg, they specifically chose this take like the specific take of this song because there's a brief but in max's words a brief but thrilling bass bass riff that Gary Talent plays at the beginning of the first chorus that he only played on this take, and so that's why they chose this take nice. I figured you'd enjoy that which goes Absolutely. back to the theory that Gary Talon has never played the same song twice oh no he <laughs> 100% hasn't and that leads us into the next track which is also about friendship which is Bobby Jean
2: well, I can- This
1: song showed up after Steven Van Zandt had fully officially left the band. And there's always been speculation that that's, and Bruce has never overtly said it, but there's, there's always been speculation that this song was about exactly that event. And, and again, Chuck Plotkin, one of the producers on this album, I think possibly started that line of speculation because he, in an interview about this song, this is what Plotkin says. He says, Bruce was trying to write his way out of this kind of nightmarish reality that Steve was gone. So yeah, he, so I think when like they're they're making this album and they're they're pushing through Steve Leaves and all all of a sudden one day Bruce starts showing up with all these songs about friendship. <laughs> so so yeah, like I guess it doesn't take like a like doesn't take a lot of deep insight to realize like, oh yeah, Bruce, Bruce is trying to reckon with some stuff. And I mean, this song yeah. does sort of feel like a love song and and our friend Bella Pori has as rightly pointed out, this could very easily be a gay love song. And and that that version of the song also works as well, but like Plakin's point is like, yeah, like, but it was written out of, you know, and I mean, we, we've talked before about how like Bruce and Steven and also Bruce and Clarence do sort of have like this, this soulmate style, like, like love song, like, like very, very loving, like more than just friends style of, of relationship that they, they, they have a connection that's deeper than just two guys who are friends. And so, yeah, um, and cool. however that manifests itself is, is none of, is none of my business, but, um, but there, there is something very deep that I think Bruce is reaching for regardless of how people read the song.
0: Yeah. I was in the short, I'm currently in a short fiction workshop. Somebody wrote the story where these, you know, these two guys in the story, you know, hold each other, fall asleep in this like long embrace. And every, everybody in the class is debating on what it should be or what it is. And I couldn't help, but think like it's somewhere between the bloop on the nose at the end of super bad or, <laughs> or the two, you know, uh, sheep herders falling in love in a tent in broke back mountain it's somewhere, it's somewhere on the spectrum of those two moments. And I don't care because it's beautiful that this relationship transcends how we define it by societal standard terms. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think that's a it, really interesting – like that's an interesting continuum. I, and th- this song definitely belongs on that continuum.
0: I was listening to this this podcast called Dying for Sex. It's a really interesting podcast about this woman who, who has terminal cancer and her friend interviews her about sort of the uh, – the turn that her love life takes when she gets that diagnosis. Uh, And, and her friend is talking about someone, she interviews one of the guys that this woman dates a little bit and the guy just, you know, they, she's asking him questions about this like sort of sexual experience they had. But the guy keeps talking about her eyes and her face. And she goes, you know, I was thinking about how much he talked about her face because that's all I can think about is when I see her face, I know that everything's okay. And she's always so beautiful even when she's sad, she's always so, like, just present in her face and the way she's there. And whenever you have a friend who's really there for you, you know what I mean? Like, that, when you see their face, you are just so happy to see it. And it is – we're talking about – uh me, me and a friend of mine who's a great writer, we're talking about – um this idea of attraction, he's talking about someone he's attracted to, and he corrected himself. He said, I, I don't know, not like in a weird way. And I said, no, I get it. I, I use the word magnetism just because people are so weirded out by the word attraction, but that's what the song, this song is about attraction. Like, Bruce is so attracted to, to, to Stephen Van Zandt, and who cares how he means it? He means that whenever he sees Stephen Van Zandt in a room, the space between him is is tense with magnetism, and he, he's attracted to go over there and to, to be with him, Right? And that's what the song's about. It's about friendship that transcends societal norms and definitions. And I love that. I love that very much.
1: Well, speaking of dying for sex, the next track is I'm Going Down. song is very straightforward the theme of the song and its connection to the overall theme of the album is pretty on the nose it's about a guy who wants to get laid and it's not gonna happen nope so (laughs) i don't know there's anything more profound going on here than that i don't know what do you think jb yeah that's it man i mean it's it's a good song it's catchy it was a single um people like this song uh interestingly like this song this was this came from the 1982 sessions this is one of those songs that he he, they they recorded very early and it just like continued to like just maintain its presence on this on this record no matter how many like iterations the album went through
0: i love it it's a good
1: one i uh i remember in the springsteen and i documentary like this is there was there was a, a fan who who made a sign for this song because his fiance had just uh, broken off their engagement. And so he like, like the day she broke up with him, he like was going to a Springsteen concert and he made the sign. It was like my, my fiance just dumped me. Can you play? I'm going down. And Bruce did it. Yeah. So, uh, I was thinking, I don't know, like for
0: some reason, like that
1: that stayed in my head.
0: Sometimes when I hear it, I think it's a little more explicit. Like, well, she's bored. (laughs) There's one thing that I'm on the record as enjoying and being good at.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's a good point. Yeah. Like, yeah, Maybe this will this will liven up our evening. I don't know. Yeah, um, I'm going to go down. <laughs> so not only, this so so this song is a prequel to Red-Headed Woman is what you're saying.
0: Yeah. Yeah, yeah,
1: All right. Well then uh let's go to the next song which is we're, sorry, we're, we're we're way over time here. So I'm trying to now I'm trying to move us through what are the biggest singles of this record which are uh track 10 which is Glory Days. I had
2: a was a big
1: the most relatable song on this album. It's about it's about people who had for like you, baby. Well, I mean, just among the people that I know, the people that I grew up with. This is very true to life. This is Jeez. we had. I mean, it's, I grew up in a small town where everybody had like the the best things that happened to them. In a lot of ways, were uh, I mean, th- in this song it's baseball, but in in my hometown it was football. Uh, but you know, like people had these big experiences. They were kind of like like local small town famous for. Like maybe two or three years, and then uh, that stopped being the case once they turned twenty five, and you know, like weren't uh, were no longer in the shape that they were in, and like not, the the people who were cruising Main Street were no longer the people cruising Main Street anymore. And uh, so anyway, I, I to to me the, this this is one of those ever present songs about people who who peak early and all all their best they they see the life as like all all the best days are behind me. And like, yeah, that's I guess
0: about. we all know. We all know someone like this. If it's not us, you know. Yeah. Well, and also, I mean,
1: I realize the song is about people like people you grew up with, or people, like the fictional world in which the narrator grew up with. But like, I, I think most people have, at some point in their lives, reach a stage where they look back and and see and and wonder if the best of their days are behind them.
0: You know. Yeah. Well, yeah. I will say that – so I don't think about, like, my hometown – going back to my hometown and, like, seeing my picture on the, you know, whatever, the wall of the store. Oh, But I, de- I definitely – if, you know, my old band buds come around town or I go to their town, you know, our wives always know that, like, all right, you know, I'll, I'll make other plans. You guys – I'll set up some lawn chairs in the backyard. <laughs> make sure there's some ice in the cooler. You guys can sit around and, you know, talk about the band days. Yeah which well, now we we very much identify as much sadder than current days.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well and I mean it and again thematically it's very on point. It it's it's people who are sort of like dealing with like the despair of reality and instead of actually like confronting those things they're like let's just have another beer. We'll tell story we'll tell that same story that we tell a million times because if we stop telling that story and we realize like why we're telling that story and not like living out new stories it will crush us. So pour yeah. another beer and let's, let's do it again. Like I went back inside and had a few drinks and all we kept talking about was glory days. Cause if we start talking about now, it gets real heavy, real fast, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, that's again, it's a lighthearted song. It's, it is catchy as all get out. But when you really like dig down and, and see like what, like it's, it's a song about denial <laughs> and you realize like what, what is it that we're not paying attention to when we're thinking about this song? It's, uh, it's the abyss so yeah um, and speaking of the Abyss we go into the next track which is Dancing in the Dark
2: I get up in the evening and I ain't got nothing to say I come home in the morning I go to
0: Yeah, this song rules. The synth the synth line. That becomes the melody of the vocals, you know, and then and the way can't change my hair, my throat, my fit fa- the way it like builds up into the you know Yeah. Into the verse, that comes back down into the into the chorus. It's this song is is there's a reason the song is the most played song on Bruce's Spotify. The song rules.
1: Well, and the story of how this song was written is legendary because Bruce was he was in the studio. They were tracking this album. They were trying to put the finishing touches on it. They are. I cannot imagine how creatively exhausted he must be having written and recorded almost 80 songs, 80 songs. And John Landau comes to him and says, we we don't have it yet. There, We are missing the lead single. we are We're missing the thing. The, the first impression that people are going to get, we need you to write one more song. And Bruce, according to legend, Bruce says to Landau, aren't I paying you enough? <laughs> and basically is like, how dare you tell me after I, I wrote and recorded 80 songs. How dare you say to me that, I need to write more songs. Like you cannot squeeze blood from a stone and Landau persists and says like, we don't have it. And so Bruce goes home and he is pissed off and he is frustrated and he is creatively out of juice. And he's like, what is it? And basically he's like, I'm, I will write from that place. Cause that's all I've got. And, and so he just like opens up his veins and writes this song. And this, yeah. this entire song is about creative frustration and it becomes the, the biggest hit of his entire career.
0: Yeah, so uh, I mean, Bruce is always writing from a very personal place, and this song is way poppy, so it almost doesn't feel like it's as personal, right? It's so of the moment, but it's so timeless because what's the who's? I want to say it's G.K. Chesterton, but I feel like it's wrong. The uh, writing is easy. Just let me open a vein. Okay, it's a quote. It's 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 been attributed to a lot of people, including Nietzsche, (laughs) Thomas Wolfe, Ernest Hemingway. I, I, I I don't think that's those guys though. Anyway or Red Smith, you simply sit down at the typewriter and bleed. But uh, this is this is Bruce bleeding on the page. And yes. he just happens to do it in one of his poppiest songs. Is that he is, he's goes home and he gets out a box knife and he literally cuts his vein open. Not and literally like a, not literally. Figuratively cuts a vein open. I'm sorry. That was really graphic. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so sorry. But like that's how it feels sometimes when you get down to this moment, this creative there I mean there are people who have opted to cut themselves as opposed to you know what I'm saying like this this is the moment in someone's life where like in creative people's lives we're like where sort of like the mental uh illness and the success meet and you and you 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 know are, are faced down with a decision and this is this is uh this is him bleeding on the pitch and it's it's brilliant
1: it really is and it's um like I, I again it's one of those songs that people I think assume because of the music video probably that it's about like love song and getting getting sexy you know or like we're just dancing in the dark but it's not it's he's by himself he's alone and he looks in the mirror and he wants to change everything about himself and he like it's about self-loathing and trying to like make something of yourself in the midst of that it's yeah shadow boxing man yeah yeah exactly like yeah shadow boxing your like your your demons and uh that that is what this song is and uh, the music video is very misleading <laughs> because that is yeah. not what this. Is. The music video is about him dancing with Courtney Cox on a, on stage and having a great time. When really the song came out of like utter like angst and turmoil. And I I really part of me hopes like the day like he went because he go goes home he writes it he comes back I I would love to imagine that John Landau listens to the demo
0: and be like see was that so hard Yeah I would love for him <laughs> to just like flippantly be like great thank you
1: thank you This is all I was asking for. <laughs>
0: Yeah, which I'm sure Bruce also – like, and there are those moments where – where I mean, it happened to me recently. I had been working on the story for eight years, and someone recently looked at me and was just like, just, you know, write it. Like, just change – just change it. Just do it again one more time. Yeah. And I did. (laughs) And it really wasn't that hard when I finally did it one more time. You know what I mean? Like, that one more time. (laughs) Finally, you know, like, yeah, getting there and finally putting it down and finally editing it, like – that took so much. But once I sat down and really got to the page, it came right out. Because I've been th- I've been working for eight years, right? Yeah. It finally came out. And it came out, and everyone was like, this is great. Good job. See? You can do it. You're good at this. And I was like, I'm not good at this. I'm bad at this. And it took eight. And they're like, no, this is great. You did it. And that's what the song is. It's like, congratulations. Yeah. And then when you were like, oh, it took so much for me. All the creative people, you know, all your creative mentors or whoever are just like, yeah, bud, it takes a lot from all of us. And, uh, yeah, that's – I love it. It's like Tom Waits, you know. You know, it's not about the muse is lazy, man. I'm in the studio every day from 8 to 5. You can show up then, muse, or I'll do it without you. Yeah. It's it's hard work. And, uh, yeah, it sucks, but, you know. But when you finally sit down and do it again, you know, it's just another day. It's another 8 to 5.
1: Yeah. Well, and then uh, we close out the album with the final track, track 12, which is My Hometown. I was
2: eight years old and running with a in my hand. To the bus stop to pick up a paper from my old man. Sit
0: Another Hall of Fame song. Great song. It's just, yeah, it's sort of this beautiful reflection, this nostalgia, sort of what could have been, what should have been, very on brand.
1: And it's interesting, like the struggle of the entire record, because the entire record, for the most part, I mean, really in general, it's it's about struggle. And the record ends with finality. It ends with resignation. And most of all, it ends with a man passing his struggles down to his son. The last line of the whole album is, "This is your hometown." So all the struggle that he's just articulated over the last twelve songs, he ends it with, and now I'm handing it off to you. You you will you inherit the struggle. This is now your hometown. You you deal with it. Because that is the human condition. We struggle.
0: Yeah. But it's not you deal with it. It's like and now it's yours to deal with. That's right. It's yeah, like, I guess that's that's a better it's so way. So much say. more inspired. And I mean it is it feels like because cause, uh, this song means so much more to me now than it did, you know, even sure. a year ago before my kid could really like talk and reason with me. But like, it, you know, it used to be like, do I really want to give my kid this? Do I really want him to inherit this mess? Yeah, do I have I a think choice? About, you know, yeah. Like, but, then I, but then I think about, uh, or, you know, sometimes it was even like, do I even want to bring a kid into this? Then I think about like, how much, you know, it's terrible, but like, it used to be so much worse. <laughs> and and, and uh, it's years now. You know, it's yours to be a steward of and to make better than it was. And so it's this song in moments like these that, you know, like you see somebody, you know, litter on the side of the road or something, and you're you're like, what a, you know, what an asshole. But then when you have a kid, you don't yell, what an asshole. You walk over with your kid and you pick it up and you throw it in the trash can. And you show them, like, hey, man, sometimes it's okay to to fix somebody else's mess because this is your hometown.
1: That is a very optimistic way of reading this. I'm not totally sure that's on the page, but but that's that's a
0: that's a a very generous way of reading it. Well I mean it's it's also hey bud you live in a world where people are gonna throw shit on your front yard (laughs) you know welcome to it this is your hometown. But it's also like this is your hometown. But also like
1: the the whole verse is last night me and Kate we laid in bed talking about getting out you know, packing up yeah. our bags, maybe heading south. I'm 35. We got a boy of our own now. Last night I sat him up behind the wheel and said, "Son, take a good look around. This is your hometown." We thought about getting out. We thought about pursuing something better, but ultimately we stayed. We didn't. And so now the cycle continues. The the whole thing begins. The song begins with, "I'm eight years old," or um, he he talks about um, I'd sit on talk about I um, I'd sit on my dad's lap in a big old Buick and steer as we drove through town. And so it opens with his dad driving him around saying, "This is your hometown." and it ends yeah. with him saying the same thing to his son. The, the situation has not gotten better, and th- we expect the cycle to continue. This is I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying I agree with this way of seeing the world. I'm saying I think that's what's on the page.
0: Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's bleak. But I think I think things are probably still a little bit better because you know, maybe there's a f- fewer opportunities in town, but the schools are integrated after somebody got shot yeah <laughs> yeah it's so, up no it, yeah terrible things happen bef- before things get better but
1: yeah so the the ultimate the ultimate concept behind the song is we we have struggled and and the next generation is going to struggle the next too. yeah the, the the legacy of humanity is that we struggle and yeah. the next generation will struggle there is no such thing as passing on a perfect world to the next generation like you said we may or may not make things a little bit better but to to convince ourselves that we are not handing off something that people will struggle with is a fallacy.
0: Yeah. I mean, how many times did somebody get shot in the first book of the Bible? Zero. But how many times, like very early on, one of the very first people killed one of the other very first people, you know? And then so many of them killed each other that God wiped them out. (laughs) You know what I mean? And then the next generation struggled and they, they, I mean, they screwed up immediately (laughs) and the next generation struggled. And the next generation struggled and the next generation struggled. And that's the story of humanity. And that this is your hometown. It is yours to do with. And uh, it's not great, but it can be better. And you can leave. You can go down south or you can change it. You know, we didn't. And maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it's a bad thing. I don't think it's bleak. I think it's true. It's just true. It's just this is how it is now. So Chuck Plotkin says he
1: always had a clear vision of how to bookend this album. He says that "Born in the USA" for in his mind was always going to be track one, and "My Hometown" was always going to be the final track. And to him, he he felt like the the real the struggle was what to what to put in between those two tracks. And uh, that I I think those two songs really are a great so bookend. I, I think that was uh, that tells you what good instincts Plotkin had while he was putting, well he was like sorting through eighty different songs to try and figure out what to do with this album. So yeah. Here's um, what
0: I love about this song. At the end, mm-hmm. this whole record is about sort of how everyone has tried to do something better, w- whether that was getting laid in Dauphin County or trying to make something of your life, whatever. They've they've tried something, right? And the last song, he doesn't he doesn't look at his kid and say, "This is it." He puts him in front of the wheel of the truck. He
1: does exactly and, what his dad did for him.
0: Right, but he the. He, I'm not saying I'm not saying things are gonna be great, but I'm just saying like it will continue, and you're in control now. The yeah. future, you know, is handing he's handing us. He's he's his, this record is him showing us everything that's wrong and everything that has been tried, and at the end he's handing us the reins, the wheel. What do you do with it? Yeah. And that's that is not that is not a promise of better things. That is just a hope. That maybe the next generation could do better than we did. All right. Well, that's a good place to
1: land it. So uh, we we, we got to get out of here. Uh, so anyway, we do have
0: to get out of here. Sorry. <laughs> thanks. Thank, thanks this everybody. Been a blast. <laughs> it was a
1: good record. It was l- a lot to talk about. Thanks everybody for sticking with us. Uh, we'll be back in the feed next week. Next week we're going to mix it up a little bit. Uh, the next the next thing on the timeline of Bruce's release uh, discography is the five disc a mega live box set Bruce Springsteen and E Street Band live 1975 to 1985 so we're gonna we're gonna take a look at that one we're not gonna go track by track we do not have that kind of time but we are gonna we are gonna talk about it so um, JB thanks for being here and to everybody else uh, we will see you next time